0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, precious people. We give thanks to God, even though the battle rages. So far, by God's grace, it's subsided a bit here in this part of the world. Although it may not be in other places, but we've had what would be our own situations, this place being the epicenter of what took place a little over a year ago. But here we are. And I just want to thank you, precious people, that are here in person, and people are returning back, and we give glory and honor and praise to God. Yes, blessed be his name. And thank you, precious people, for being here. I am not under any delusion. I do realize things aren't the same, and things are going to change. Church, as we know it, will not be normal for a time, And while precious people are coming, thanks be to God and thanks to uh, your faith in God, and the fact that you have come here with boldness, I also understand, too, there are many people who still are reluctant, and that's just fine. So we do not want to force anyone. When we look at what would be the normal choir, it is basically a a tenth of what was ordinarily uh, the usual choir, but that's fine. Because at this point, our focus is simply to focus on God. It's not numbers that we would be able to grow in the grace of the Lord, and then one day, we will all get back together in his perfect timing. So we're just going to take uh, this opportunity to give thanks to God for victory along the way and for all that is happening. I want us to just realize that America is not going to be the same, and churches across the world are not going to be the same. I also do realize that this pandemic has created havoc. The battle is raging, and what we see is as people come back, but I want you to notice on a larger scale, many churches have gone under many churches were not able to pay their bill many churches were not able to upkeep their buildings many churches did not receive fund and many tried to and many others have basically depended on government for for funding highland church received and we returned back the money to the government because we just felt our trust is in god but i want you to understand that we trust god we believe god not that we're any better But this is a trying time, and we must put our trust in God. We have a great, big, wonderful God. Can you say amen? And we have precious people from so many different parts of the world, and it's very important. One of the things I, for one, have understood from, and I've always wondered... The type of churches and the type of personalities and the hypes and the whole ups that is very much in the Americanized church or Americanized church or Christendom is not really from the Bible. A whole lot of hop, lights, show, sound. Nothing different from a nightclub. But what we're doing is we're trying to find out what is the will of the Lord and the church that was will not be the same. For one, I want you to understand, we are learning to change. A church would be hybrid. We will certainly recognize that one very important component has been online. And I just hope there will be more services that would be uh, because uh, one of the things that have happened, especially in America, is churches have been basically censored by and far than any other uh, temples, mosque, or whatever if you can understand it is terrible what's happening the message is being curtailed by and large and I want you to understand that it has been this uh, pandemic has been an attack on churches very many godly pastors and leaders have gone to be with the Lord and I don't take any joy in this except sorrow and sadness with what's happening but in the midst of all of this I wanted to know that we are on the winning side and whatever happens i want you to realize that we are going to go back into the scriptures not by traditions and by all of that but go back into what the bible says that's very important it is expedient for us to go back to god go back to prayer go back in the power of the holy spirit and go back and evangelize so i want us to realize a very important thing is many people are coming back and. And I began the series because I had done another series and I stopped right abruptly because of what I felt in my spirit and in my own dream that people are going to come out and there is going to be strife and offense and churches after having been hit so bad by the enemy. And let me just remind you, COVID-19 is a virus sent from hell. It has affected so many people and churches have been hurt. But I want you to realize, when you look at a nation, it's not so much the battle that comes from outside. It is a split and a strife for within. What is true in the spiritual is true in the natural. As a nation, we're breaking up, breaking up by many, many different strifes, whether it be by culture or color or party or whatever. If you haven't realized, America has changed. Everybody's saying, what about me? But that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when people come back. The church, as we know, is going to be divided by many strife. Many people are going to be offended. And we need to enter into this new era with caution and with prayer, and that's why prayer has been a deep, very deep focus, and I would basically encourage the prayer warriors and intercessors. Number two, we want to enforce evangelism, if not by street, at least by telephone and social media. But I want to say this very importantly, that what I began with this message is People come back, and then it's like basically after an accident, It's only after a few months, you start getting the pain. Because when you went to the doctor, it was fine. But a few weeks later, or a month or two months later, you'll begin to see the pain and hurt. And it comes back with such a vengeance. And that's what's going to happen when people come back, and all of a sudden they say, what's going on? Like I said, things are not going to be the same, whether in the natural or whether in the spiritual. People will come at a loss. Many have gone through very difficult situations. Lord, of you who are seated here and those that are watching, welcome those that are watching. And I wanted to share this message. And if you're on Facebook and if you're on any other social media, call up your friends. This is very important. But I want to say this, very important, that all of you, whether those who are watching and those who are here, everyone have a word about what they have gone through and a testimony of how God has brought them through. Some have gone over, some have gone through, and some have come under and just basically thank God because God has carried them over to eternity. It doesn't matter what way, but everyone is going to feel the pain, the loss, the tragic uh, situation, including the loss of jobs, the loss of situations, and it's going to be upheaval in the political, national, but much importantly, this is what I care more for in our Christian faith and in churches today. So keep this very much in your prayer. So I've been addressing this thing called offense And I took it from Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6 where Jesus is saying, Blessed is he that is not offended in me. Many reasons I talked about. If you missed this, go back to the last Sundays. It talks about the reasons we're offended, unmet expectation, or simply because God was not there when I needed him most. Let me remind ourselves that God is never too late, never too early, just in His time at the perfect time. May not be according to our clock and our watch, but God knows what He is doing. But this has been a trying situation. But look and study the lives of people like Job or David or Abraham or Paul or Peter. Or go down through the years of the history of the church life and the church fathers, everyone have gone through this. No one is exempt. So I want us to realize this, that many are saying, what's going on? Expectations have not been met. Many a times our expectations have been false and our interpretations of certain scriptures have been lopsided. We always felt that God must give us a parachute and certainly have angels carrying food to us and keeping us from falling. We live in a fallen world. Things happen to the best drivers, though no fault of theirs. They could have an accident caused by a drunken driver. Virus can hit anyone, but this is nothing compared to the force behind Satanic force, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and in high places. But I want us to realize something very important, that even though I talked about the causes, something like probably 17-something causes, I will try to address what do we do to handle the offense, which is very common. In fact, Jesus said, offense will come. He didn't say may. It'll come. It'll come to me, it'll come to you, it'll come to every one of us. But then how can we handle offense which is so common? I began last Sunday talking about one or two, and I talked about when it comes, do what John the Baptist did. He went directly to the Lord. In the case of John the Baptist, he was locked up. And of course, they were not allowed to have frequent visitors. But when people did come, obviously there was a talk. And they said, what's going on? The one that you prophesied, the one that you are the forerunner, the one that you are the voice of this messenger. He's just a little child. Why doesn't he turn around and heal the nation and in a topsy-turvy world handle the political, take care of Herod? Jesus never said a word about Herod, let alone Pontius Pilate, except that he's a fox. He was not in the gang to remove Trump or remove Biden. He is in the camp to change lives. When he comes a second time, he will handle political rulership across the world. This is a time of peace and a message of peace, and it is not going to one particular country or a few countries. We are peacemakers, and we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We take no side except the side of God. We do not stand on our political or cultural or color or whatsoever. We stand up, and I ask you, whose voice are you? The voice of a country? There are enough of that people. The voice of a color or a culture? There are enough people doing that, and rightly so. But if you're a Christian, you should be the voice of God. You should be a witness of what Acts chapter one, verse eight says, "You shall be my witness, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, Amen. so firstly, John could not if he was basically set free, he would have ran to Jesus. Remember Jesus had moved out from Judea and he went off to Galilee because there was there should not be any uh, Uh, contradictions or or terms of uh, strife between the two. And so the distance was not like it was before. And besides, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have text message, you didn't have emails. He's locked up. And so he's telling two of his disciples, they were also dismayed, go to him and ask him, Are you the one? Not just anyone. The one, the only one. Or should we wait for another? Should we expect another? Expectation dashed in a crisis. But I will comment, John, that he went and sought through these men is directly going to the Lord. Should we? It's not John. He's one of the few others who are asking the question. So these two had come with the question directly. I mentioned last Sunday, whatever will you do? Don't tell others. You have an offense? someone has offended you, go to the individual directly. Otherwise, you are as might as well put gasoline and dynamite the whole stuff. It'll be worse than you have started with. So, when you read Matthew chapter 11 and verse three, these two come and say, are you the one? Luke chapter seven, verse 19 and 20, John sends forth these two and they come to the Lord and say, do we seek another? So the first important rule that I want to give you or principle, go directly. Go directly. No one wants to hear what you want to tell that person from another person. That would be a lot more masala and pepper all put together, and by the time he hears it, it's like the beginning of a third world war. Go directly. Resolve it directly. No matter what you are faced with, go to God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Number two, recognize the situation, but also know that we have limited understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, for we understand in part, we prophesy in part. We don't have the whole book in front of us. We only have a word here and a word there, and verse 12 tells us of the same chapter, We're looking through a murky glass. We don't have all the picture there. It doesn't matter who says what. The best of the prophets don't have it all. It's a word here, a word there. And so when we come to a situation, remember this. The prophets of God in the past have gone to God and said, Lord, I don't understand, but I will still trust you. I don't understand the way I'm going, the way you are leading me, but Lord, just give me patience to listen to you. So it's very important we come to the situation where we come to him and tell him, Lord, I don't know all of it. What I see is from my perspective, and that's an earthly humanly situation but you are better than from an eagle you are further up you see the whole panoramic drama unfolding and you know the end from the beginning and one of the things we need to realize is very importantly when you look to the scriptures there are things we may not understand i talked about the perplexity almost the dilemma that we face because we hold on to scriptures and then we wonder why it's not so Psalm 91, verse 10, Pestilence will not come nigh you. But why did it come so close to some? I'm grateful that Highland did not have such a tragic loss. You can count in your fingers. But it's not the case with many godly churches. But one life is too many. But I would say this, my friend, this is very important. We even come to John chapter 10, verse 2, and he gives us life and life abundantly. But why am I not receiving the life? I think it's not only head, it, but it's also mind, it's also finance, it's also welfare. All of this are interpretations. So we are challenged. We held on to it. Or oh, John 14 14, whatever you ask, I will do it. And I've asked, Lord but we need to look at the scriptures from the view of the Holy Spirit and compare, like uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 4, and verse 15, rightly dividing the word. Because in chapter 16 of John, Jesus said, I'm telling you this from the beginning, and why he says is because you otherwise will be offended. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 1. I'm telling you this so that you will not be offended. And John chapter 16 and verse 33, he goes on to say, in this world, you will have tribulation. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, as a good soldier, you will suffer persecution. So there's the blessing on one hand, and there's also what would be the challenges that we face. We walk in this world, we have not been, and we're not in heaven. So there are a lot of things we will face, but God is with us every step of the way. He never abandons us, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. Number three, and I titled this, for lack of better word, called prophetic frenzy prophetic frenzy. As a nation, we have suffered this, because while I respect end time teachers, they've gone bonkers. They've gone way off the charts, because this is a big money-making racket. It's almost like people want to know horoscope, but that is forbidden. So, let me go and find out from Bible consultants what's the future, excuse me. We don't know what's the present, and we want to know what the future is. I will tell you the future in one word, Jesus is coming soon. You heard what I said? Jesus is coming soon. Now, which way he comes? He said, I don't know, only the Father in heaven knows. So, do you think I know? The interpretation has been so murky... That Hal Lindsey's book has sold by the millions, making him a millionaire. Israel in 48 years, 45 years, Jesus is coming. 45 years have gone, generation. 80 years have gone, a generation. So we are focused in the Middle East when we should be focused in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and in our Samaria. The sad situation is, because of these murky off prophecies, one of our president went to war because he said he was taught, listen to this, Iraq was the evil empire. And the sad situation is we interpret future based on now. It's a timing that is the difference. There are worse people than Nebuchadnezz- uh, than uh, Saddam Hussein. I want you to understand I don't take side. I'm neither a Republican, neither a, polit- uh, a Republican. I'm just a Democrat. I'm just a Bible preacher. But we went on a war calling it a crusade. For what? You know how many lives it has taken? The tolls of Christians that were taken off from what would be... They predated Islam in the Middle East. They were at one time the majority decimated and many a times our policies have hurt people and misunderstood by people overseas. And for me to preach this only to say that's not what Jesus said. That is what America says, but that's not what Christ Jesus says. So we've gone into a war either because Israel wants us to Oh, Saudi wants us to, and we go. And there are people quoting scriptures. Who else will go to? Oh, that's what the Bible says about Persia. By the way, Persia in the past has been friendly. They're not friendly today. Oh, it is Russia. At this point, Russia stands up for Christianity, unlike America that stands up for alternate and every lifestyle. Oh, they're not born again tongue-talking Christians, but they are Orthodox Christians, and growing. And our policies towards Syria and Iraq, in fact, those are the only two countries in the Middle East that have defended Christians. And why did we interfere? Because Saudi doesn't like it, Israel doesn't like it, so we are basically cowboys going to war for people. And we quote scriptures. My point for this is simply because John the Baptist was discouraged. Discouraged because he talked about the wine press. He talked about the fan in his hand, the winnow press, and he's going to sweep out the ungodly. That Jesus has come. Good riddance to Caesar. Good riddance to Herod. Good riddance to all of the nonsense that's taking place from Rome to Jerusalem. And what is Jesus doing? He's healing the sick, the blind sees, the lame walk, the dumb and deaf speak, and they hear. And this is frustrating. What in the world? We're looking for a national, international, God. What is going on here? Jesus is doing what he's called to do. You see, my friend, what John the Baptist said was 100% correct. He talked about him coming, the wine press, and the one that would be the refiner's fire, the one that would come in and judge with fury. That is correct. But that was yet to come don't push the future into the present and take the present to the future one step at a time let me just explain john the baptist was really offended because he's been preaching about kingdoms coming apart nothing is happening jesus is simply wasting time with individuals saving lives going home sitting down with these people and that people and teaching the good news when are you going to shake things around one of the things we need to understand is john the baptist's word was correct a hundred percent in malachi chapter 3 verse 1 that is what malachi says i'm going to send my messenger and he shall prepare the way of the lord but well, when you turn to verse two, that is for yet another time, who may abide by his. When he appears, he's like a refiner's fire, that is at the second time. Malachi chapter four, verse one, that is yet for future. When you turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse one, two, three, 4, the stem of Jesse, out of the root of Jesse, The one would come with the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of anointing, all the way to five. That is what he's come for. But when you turn to verse six, that is yet to come. And so when you turn, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lay down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and and the fatling together and the little child shall lead them. That is yet to come. Isaiah 53 is the here and now, the suffering servant, who humbled himself. But Isaiah 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, is yet of the one that would come, not on a donkey, but on a white stallion as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he was come today, your cousin, my cousin, your friends, my friends, your neighbors, my neighbors would not see salvation but he will come. He's long-suffering. Now, I want you to understand, my friend, when Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 61, he spoke about it in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, 2, verse 18, 19, 20. Look at what he quotes, Isaiah 61, verse 1. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, good news unto the meek. That is exactly what he said in Luke chapter 4, 18. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And he stopped it there. That was what he did at the temple. But verse two, listen to what he says to proclaim the acceptable year, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that though that will mourn. That is yet for another time. That's not for now. So he stopped with 61 verse 1 because 61 verse 2 will come later. So when we look at prophetical utterances, it's not wrong. You know, I was remarking, to, remarking this to a precious... Uh, wo- sister in fact a ministry leader who came down to see me in my office she's from jamaica and i read news from across the world and i said you know what's interesting is one of the prophet in jamaica prophesied that so and so lady would be the prime minister and he had her brought forward and anointed her and spoke and the whole church anointed her made a big about it and so the election day she even sp- spoke in a church how she would be the prime minister and she got a resounding defeat. But he had told earlier that if she's not elected, I'll leave my ministry, what for? You speak the word of the Lord, let the Lord take care of it. She was defeated, he was, she was defeated soundly. But the next turnaround, she won with the majority. Timing is important. Timing is important. But when we try to press God's hand, we are not dictating. He's the one who leads us. Let him do what he will do. (laughs) Don't get offended. Even though you have a promise, don't get offended. It is about the matter of timing. Even the policies that we do must be in terms of timing. We're not leaving this place saying Jesus is coming tomorrow. We want to be preaching the gospel even as Jesus comes tomorrow. We're not leaving town. Give the Lord a clap offering. (laughs) While we make plans for tomorrow, we must live in the todays in the wisdom that God gives us. Prophetic wisdom and counsel and prophecies are, of end times are true, but don't bring it forward and don't interpret it, Russia now, or Iraq now, or Iran now, we'll get into a lot of problems. Yesterday's enemy will be our friends today and today's friends will be our worst enemy true. Let time pass by, we will know when it will fully be realized, in the meantime, Don't ever think that this one is going down. This is full of the kingdom of demons. No, sir. Jesus died for all. And because he loves, he's waiting till everyone hears the gospel and we should not take side. Number four, don't feed offenses. Don't feed it. The moment you start feeding this wild dog, it'll come to bite you. Listen to what Ephesians chapter four, verses one, two, and three says. Says walk in love, in the vocation that you are called. Verse 14, 15, don't be moved up and down, through and fro uh, to every wind of doctrine. Verses four, verse 14, don't be like children. Verse 31, 32 simply says, remove all bitterness. So it's very important that in order not to feed this monster called offense, it must be important that we use our words, our thoughts, and our actions carefully. So when you look at words, listen to what James chapter 3 and verse 2 says. The one that is able to master his words is a perfect man. If any man offend in word, the same will not offend. The same is a perfect man. Our thoughts are important. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. As a man thinks, so he is. Your thoughts are the ones that will be the factor of what you will do. And what is it you do? Based on very important principle, when you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Who is the one you are listening to? If it's led by the Spirit, you will do the things of the Spirit and you will have the fruits of the Spirit. If you're led by the flesh and everything that you're hearing, you'll be led and you will have the fruits of the flesh. It's a matter of who you feed and who you listen to. It will enroll our words, our thoughts, and our action. Number five, curb the offense right at the door. Don't let that serpent in. It's the most dangerous thing to tit tail with it, gossip, and before you know it, there's a whole lot of fire burning, and you wonder who said it. It was us, our worst enemies... And I'm going to say Christians' worst enemy after Satan is themselves. It's not your neighbor. It's not Afghanistan. It's us. We are the biggest problem. I want us to realize a very important component. Matthew chapter 11 verse 3. He was putter, but he came. The two disciples met with Jesus and said, Should we wait for another? Because we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Lord, a year and a half of my biological clock has ticked away. Now this job is not there. They're telling me I have to do something else. I've been waiting for a miracle. Should we expect another? another Jesus some will come preaching another Jesus you know it's an American Jesus who's going to give you success like crazy you're going to be billionaires and millionaires prophecies after prophecies you're going to be a millionaire you're going to be a billionaire then the last time I heard it's a trillionaire till somebody uses the word zillionaire this is basically something that is tickling the ears of uh, lambs, when we should be sheep of children, when we should be men and women of God. I want us to realize in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up in your heart, and many be defiled. Spring. That is what James is saying in chapter 3 and verse 14. He says these sort of things, bitter envying and strife in your heart. Strife is like offense that comes in, and that is not good. There are times that we need to forgive, no matter what has happened. Whether it's an offense that we don't understand and we offend at God, forgive. Don't hold it, it will be bitter. In fact, Matthew chapter six and verse 14 says, if we forgive others, our Father will forgive us. That's a very important component of what would be dealing with strife, dealing with offense, we'll all be offended. There will always be an offense. People will always offend us. Nations, parties, the different governments, and if we keep at it, there's no end. I want you to understand everybody is going to disappoint you. But I want you to know this that no matter what, don't bring it into your home. That serpent lies outside. You have the power to lock the door or you allow him inside pity party and say let him have a little cup of milk and the next moment he comes to hurt you. You know what is interesting is when you look at these scriptures, you're going to find that Jesus is talking about a very important thing that we need to realize. You know, Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 and verse 22 How much times do I have to bear with this? Seven times? Jesus says, no, it is 70 times seven. There's a passage that tells us, be careful because strife and bitterness and offense can go deep and it has an entrance of Satan. Let Satan enters you. Let Satan strangles you. I'll come to that passage a little later. It can go from what would be one natural, one in the emotion, one into what would be a spiritual, and then you have given yourself an entrance for Satan. He can be cast out, but it's very dangerous. Let me say this. A very important thing is we need to realize number five, don't curb before he comes in. Number six is very important, and I say this in the case of John the Baptist, lest we misunderstand. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Listen to what it says here. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. He's saying, There is no one like him among them that are born of women. There had no one risen greater than John. So here is John coming, so to speak, through his disciples. Jesus, after the disciples left, is turning to his folks that heard this conversation and said, have you seen this? Have you seen this man? He's slowly suffering in prison. There's no man like him. Excuse me? Jesus. You should condemn him. The man is offended. Jesus says, "No, no one like him. There's no one like him. And I want you to understand something very important about this John the Baptist is in verse 12, the next verse. I will read it for you. It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and violent take it by force. He's not a mere man. He's not a man that finds out which way the wind is blowing and then blows with the wind. He's a man that stands no matter what. His die is cast, Rubicon has been passed, and he says, Exactly, his word yesterday was his word today, and his word yesterday and today is the word that he heard from God. No matter what happens, it doesn't matter what happens. And the reason he's in prison is because some some diehard word. The violence take it by force. I want to say this very importantly. That is a specialized ministry. I'm not asking you to be like John the Baptist, stand up on the post and scream profanity or something like that against that. He really said, you vipers, you good for nothing, X, Y, Z. But men alive, these people are standing in line to get baptized. Many Christians have tried to imitate John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist lived not in a glass cage. He could throw stones, but you know what? There was no glass to break in his life. He lived a very fugal life. But I want you to understand, he is the intertestamental period. Today, what we need to preach is not strife and tension. The church of the 21st century must preach Jesus Christ, the man of peace, not a militant Jesus not a warmongering Jesus. That people across the world must know this Jesus, no one like him, no prophets of any faith, of any religion, or any philosophy, like Jesus. He mends heart. He brings warring tribes together. He breaks the walls of partition. And brings those brothers that went against each other together. Color against color, he brings them together. Man and woman, he brings together. He's a man of mercy. He's a man of peace. But when you look at John the Baptist, he was a very powerful preacher. And there's something about him that I want you to know about faith I'm talking about. It's very important. John the Baptist was not someone who shook his faith. The best of us will have faith-shaking moments. Pandemic has shaken many of our faiths. We were in a secure place like nothing has happened. I mean, this is America. (laughs) That little virus won't come here. It did. The greatest devastation, at least last year, was America. Now, I think India is going through that. We've been humbled. And I want us to realize, my friend, we need to realize a very important thing. Even though faith gets shaken, and love sometimes, and trust sometimes, it'll come back. It just went out for a second, but we grow in grace and grow in faith and grow in love and grow in trust. Times God allows us to shake up so we would get off our human pedestal and turn to God and depend upon God and God alone. I want us to realize a very important component of this. In John, in Luke chapter seven, And verse 19 and 20, Luke chapter 11, this is what the two of his disciples come to say to Jesus. But I want you to know that in the same chapter is a tremendous study of faith. In chapter 11 and verse 37, it says a certain woman. She had no future. Hers was a murky, checkered past, she was a prostitute. She had seven demons. Look at her guts. She came down with an alabaster box, uninvited to Simeon the Pharisee's house. She went straight to the feet of Jesus and began to wipe his feet with the oil with her own hair. Thomas was, of, Judas was offended. Judas kept the cash. He said, why wasn't this given? He used the word poor. They use that today. What you do for the Lord can never be compared with anything you do with the money. Do you hear what I said? What you do for the Lord, don't look at You know, many people say, Oh, I like to be in this position in the church and so and so. And if it's a trustee, I say, What's the tight system here? Excuse me? You got to be proven in what you give. When it comes to the restaurants, the finest. When it comes to the tip, the finest. When it comes to tithing, the lowest. Why? Take a look at your checkbook and find out if you love the Lord. She broke an alabaster box. Very expensive. That could be about three months' salary. Can you believe it? Judas was very upset. He was offended. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This woman didn't. But Jesus turns to Simon and I wanted to turn with me to chapter 7 of the same chapter that we're talking about, John. And in verse 40, he's asking Simon a question. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Many therefore, therefore, when they heard this, said, Alas, of truth, is this a prophet? That was their version. But in verse 44, he gives a parable, and in verse 44, listen to what he says. He says to Simon... I'm sorry, you're looking into John. I'm so sorry. Let's go back to Luke chapter 7 and verse 40. Luke chapter 7 and verse 40. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered your house. You did not give me water for my feet. She has washed my my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. If you would turn to her... Look at her, Simon. Look at her faith. She has no past, but she has a future. Wherever this gospel will be written, what she did will be told. Give the Lord a clap offering. (laughs) Let's come back to John and his faith. Look Chapter 7, and if you read verse 24, 25, 26, maybe it could be 27, when the messengers were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Excuse me? Hold it just a second. John is languishing in prison. If only he could hear the wondrous commendation by the Lord, by the Master, by the Savior. You may not hear it, my friends. What does the Lord say about you when you went through all this horrid time, literally locked in? John the Baptist didn't hear it. John the Baptist didn't hear it. But the highest recommendation given to a man born of a woman, Jesus says about it. You know, Job went through hell. Excuse the word. He went through a miserable time. And yet, in Job chapter 1 and verse 8, behind all the scene, Job knows nothing about. It is in the spiritual It is not for Job to hear. Natural man cannot hear it. Up in the heavens! God is saying to Satan, have you considered my servant? No! No one like him. Excuse me? In the annals of history, has God commended anyone like this? He did to Job. Have you considered... No man like this man. Satan said, he's doing all this because of what you've given. God blesses us. But if God removes the blessing, will you get so offended you'll curse God? Job's wife did. Curse him and die. Job did not. What I'm saying is, my friend, this is the crucible of our faith. And we are in the trial and the testing of our faith. We say we love God on a Sunday morning and come Monday, it's pandemic. How is our love relationship with with our God after a Sunday worship, after the sun has set and darkness and gloom have covered the, the earth? Will our love be the same in darkness as it was in the darkest nights. What is so unbelievable is Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 7 and verse 25, listen to what he's saying. He says, what did you go out to see? He's telling his disciples, a man clothed in raiment Behold, they are gorgeously apparelled, and they live delicately in king's courts. That's not what you went to see. Earlier in verse 24, he says, is he something like a reed blowing in the desert, in the wind? No, no, he's not that. He's not one who's delicately dressed and showing himself how wonderful he is, gorgeously dressed. That's not John. Coming down to verse 26, listen to what he goes on to say. What went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. And this prophet languished in prison, nor his disciples hear one word. You and I don't hear what is God speaking about us. In the crucible of our own trials, I'm going to ask you, my friend, God is turning around, and a day will come in their clothes, not of this earth, but of the world to come. Your name will be announced. It didn't matter if you've lost someone. It didn't matter if you lost your job. It matters how you stood for God through the trials, like Shadrach, Mishak, and Abednego. They said, my God! will take us out of the fire. And if evil not, we're still not going to bow down. You heard what I said? And if he weren't, we're still not going to bow down to this idol. They had their hearts made up about God. I want you to realize when you go into number six faith, yes. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Have you considered? Let's look at Job chapter 1 and verse 21. While all of the news is coming, what is this man doing? He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. That's how I was born. I'm not going to carry anything out. Naked I return. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away it from his perspective, Satan could not, it is God. But blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Chapter two, verse nine. His wife had one answer to all the problem. Dost thou retain your integrity? Is this the time to be about integrity? Curse God and die. Be a man. Verse 10. Job is saying, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Have you been where Job has been? Have you been where John has languished in the prison? This pandemic, as bad as it was, is nothing compared with these two. Number seven, what do you do in a time like this? Pray. John must have been disappointed in his prayer. Sometimes we misunderstand prophecies and try to basically do it our time, and God says, no, Isaiah 55, verse eight, our ways are not his ways, and the things we do are not the way he does. But when you look at prayer, I am positive. This man went on his knees and prayed, God, 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 What is going on? I'm not seeing any shaking up on this world. I don't see Herod falling apart. I don't see Caesar coming apart and Rome going under. What happened, God? You're not answering my prayers. Haven't we prayed that? Let me tell you this. John the Baptist's prayer was perfectly answered. Excuse me, perfectly answered. It's a matter of defining, what were you praying for? Lord, give me patience. And it looked like God put us in the center of the main street. Boom, boom, boom. God, what's going on? You said, pray, pay patience. I'm giving you patience in the midst of turbulence. John the Baptist's prayer was this, John chapter 3, verse 30. Listen carefully. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Soon, he was decreasing. And every time he was decreasing, Jesus was increasing. He was locked up in a prison. But Jesus' ministry was flourishing. Excuse me, I didn't understand that. It's a principle you will never understand until the Holy Spirit opens your mind. It is amazing when Paul got a prophecy that he will stand before kings. This will actually swell people's mind. I mean, I literally heard a man telling, boasting, that God... Wanted his advice. Listen to this. God wanted his He's in the council of advisers to God. The God I know doesn't need two bits of your advice. He's God. This man comes to America, and he's got a big ministry. What in the world is going on? They ask him a question, and he says, yes, Jesus came. Excuse me, Jesus? What are you, you playing marbles with him or something? He's Lord Jesus. Just came. God doesn't need anyone's help. I want you to understand this very important. Paul got a great prophecy. You will stand before kings. How be it in chain? Excuse me? Yeah, you'll stand before the kings and great men, but in chain. What does that mean? That means like a prisoner. And Paul never said he's a prisoner of Caesar. Not one word. Is a prisoner of the Lord. Amen. But I want you to understand, healing like crazy took place under his ministry. People were delivered, Satan was cast out, and now he's praying. Look at his prayer. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, is amazing prayer that God answered wonderfully. Wonderfully. For this thing, I besought the Lord twice. The first time, maybe he was too busy. The second time, I rang all the bells there is and lighted all the candles. The third time, I was up and down, screaming like a Pentecostal. That it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, do you want to see me and my glory, or do you want to see you and your glory? Which do you want? Do you want to know about my grace? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul is saying, Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? He understood what prayer was. Today prayer is interpreted in America, I must be number one. I've got to have the best car. God will give you the best house. Not necessarily all the time. And one day, God can also remove it to find out if you love the car or you love God. I want you to realize Hebrews, uh, Job chapter 13 and verse 12 gives us a tremendous picture of this Job. He didn't understand what was hitting him. Left, right, forward, everywhere, but he did this. In Job chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 15, listen to what he says in Job 13. And Though he slay me... Yet will I trust him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. Even if he were to slay me, he didn't have a full understanding. But if God was to slay me, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to put up an offense and say, I cannot stand you. I will still trust him. I will maintain my own ways before him. I'll give you just one more, and number eight, and then I'll quit because I was going to get 15 or 16 points. But the last one just before the choir comes, and that is number eight. John was great in God's sight. He didn't have to be great in the world's sight. He didn't have to be great in the sight of Herod or in the sight of Caesar. My friend, we are so desperate today, so desperate that we need accolades from the president and from the prime minister and from the chief minister and from the governors. What you need, my friend, is to find out what God thinks about you. Greatness in the sight of God is nothing compared to greatness in this world. Just because some people have fame and name and glory doesn't mean anything. Soon this world will end. What takes place in heaven matters all. You are not in the centerfold of the newspaper, nor in the Christian world. You are a humble servant praising God in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of death, in the midst of misery, in the midst of loved ones gone to heaven, and yet you are faithful. God sees you. The world doesn't have to. I see this precious woman coming in. I've never seen her alone. Everywhere that Pastor Valerie has gone, her husband, Jeff, has been there. He was one of the casualties of this church. We wondered how she'd make it. God, but for God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Look at what Jesus is saying. An amazing thing, no one like this man. John the Baptist didn't know But Jesus is going to say something so astounding and I'll close here that you will not believe. He looks up in the same chapter in Matthew chapter 11 and now he's giving thanks to God. Excuse me. Listen to his words before I close. Matthew chapter 11 verse 25 and verse 26. He's looking up. And he's saying, at that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from wise and prudent as revealed them unto babes. You hear what I said? You have hid these things. The world doesn't know this. The world thinks you got the biggest gun, you got the biggest toy, you are the king of the hill. The toy, the hill, and the house is crumbling down soon. It matters what you have in heaven. Matthew chapter 11, verse 26, listen to what Jesus says, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. I'll quote one more scripture. And I'll say a word of prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 21. And then verse 26 and verse 27. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disruptor of this word? Hath not God chosen the foolish The wisdom of, to make the foolish the wisdom of this word? Verse 21 that after that, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 26, look at what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Verse 27, for God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. A day will come where God is going to exhibit his trophies of grace compared to the wisdom of this world, that is foolishness. And God says these are trophies pulled out of the fire my grace and my wisdom is upon them father bless your people today that we would be looking for greater things and never offend you God and never be offended by you we ask help us to have a very sensitive heart reach out to your people today bless them in Jesus name amen While We are just meditating for a moment. Take this moment. Pastor Val, go ahead. Just pause and we're going to break this bread. You all can sing Pastor Val and then Pastor Hans is going to say what a word of prayer. Gives you enough time. For those that are watching, this gives you enough time to bring in a cup of wine or grape juice, cracker, maybe roti or whatever. We can come in and break bread. We'll give you that opportunity just for a few seconds till you get that for those who are not prepared, those who are watching.